Hello. Hello. Okay, it's checking my levels, checking my levels. Okay, you can hear me. What's going on, everyone? This is, um... <sighs> this is Sam Ferguson. Um, that is my name. It has been for the past 25, almost 26 years. That's right, my birthday is around the corner. Um, and for those who have been fans of the show, you may hear a voice that is not here right now. Um, for the past almost three years, um, we've been... I've had my co-host on basically every single episode. Um, and this is one of those episodes. He's not dead. Nothing has happened to him. Let's turn... Let's 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 bring this music down. Thank you, Bach. Plays live for us every day. Um, our other co-host, Zach Ferguson, is not here. He is my brother. He is a dear brother. Love him dearly. But he... If you guys have listened to this show since the... I'd say this is season... This is series two, really, because um, we were on the show. We started off as a podcast, as one does, and then it turned into a radio show. And we started the radio show back in late 2018, early 19, um, or early 2019. Um, and then we took a break um, right after the pandemic, um, and we started again. Um, and Zach and I were living together for quite some time. Um, we were living with each other for about a year, almost, well, a year on the dot because it was a year lease. Um, but he yesterday, um, moved back to Pittsburgh. Now he, do not worry, he is going to be back on the show. Um, in fact, this is what we have been doing for a majority of Two Thumbs That Decided is him, um, calling in or, a, we're doing like a, a FaceTime or Google Meets thing. Um, and that's what we've been doing for the past two years. Um, but he is not going to be in studio for a while now. Um, which, you know, it's sad, but it's also, uh, it's, it's, he did not enjoy Pittsburgh or New York. Um, he, you probably listened, if you go back and listen to earlier episodes, he was not a fan of New York City. He did not enjoy it whatsoever. Um, so, He's back in Pittsburgh. Um, I am still in New York. I am still running the show. I am still basically, since he's not around, I'm basically the main host. Um, But this show is Two Thumbs Undecided. What we do on the show is essentially we talk about media at this point. Mostly storytelling and visual media. We've tried to talk about music in the past, but... Zach and I really don't know a whole lot about music whatsoever, but we grew up in a family in which film and media was kind of the point of a lot of conversation. It was the beginning of a lot of things. And if you ever, for some reason, have dinner with our family or you you are, see us together, the main conversation is movies. Um, and so movies, but also understanding that today's day and age Movies are not exactly what they used to be. Not saying that it's better or worse, but movies and media has changed so much um, in the past even 10 years of what is storytelling nowadays. Um, In fact, uh, a guest and friend of the show, uh, Reese, also known as Guy with a Moving Camera on TikTok, um, came on 
uh, a few weeks ago, but I was just he just turned 24 and I just came back from a birthday party with him. And that man has a bunch of obviously TikTok friends. And there was one in particular that I was very fascinated with. His name was Jordan Stuttered. Um, has wow, he has 758,000 followers. Um, if you want to put that in comparison, we have 400 followers on Instagram. Um, so someone does the math. But his shtick, because um, I asked him what his shtick was, his shtick is basically he has a bunch of TikTok friends and he creates a story around them. Um, one of the ones that was pinned was this dude. Um, I would, here, let me, let me, let me play it for you. Wait, is it, I, I can't. It's very, oh, it's because it's connected to my, there's always something. Um, this is normally when I would be like, oh, Zach, you listen, you, you talk while I, while I figure this shit out. But right now, I have to turn off my Bluetooth headphones. There we go. Okay. This is the audio from one of his things. One of his videos. Let's start it over. My friend Jack is very tall, which means cars are tough and everybody thinks he plays basketball. What it really means is that Jack qualifies for a very unique job. Jack is a keeper of secrets. These secrets come from anywhere and everywhere. People who have something to get off their chest, but don't know who to tell. So, they give them to Jack. With this very special trust, Jack takes them back to the keeper's quarters, where he gets the tallest ladder in all the city, climbs to the very top step, and places them in the very top shelf that only he can All right, that's enough. Um, anyways, meeting people like this, um, part of the reason why I... When I first moved to New York, one of the things that fascinated me about the idea of New York and moving to New York is, and why New York over, say, L.A. or, say, any other place, I think in New York there is a sense of beginnings, of artistic beginnings, um, that I don't think really, I mean, it, it exists other places, but if we're at least comparing it to L.A., and I'm not, okay, I don't want to bash on L.A. L.A.'s fine, it's pretty. But there is there is a little bit more of like, maybe this is New York pretentiousness, but this is a New York channel. I just feel like there is a little bit more of an excitement out of new things in New York. And meeting a lot of these people today really inspired me. Um... To get back into like video creation, because if I've if I'm being honest, the past. This is just me now talking about what it's like to live in, um, to work in to work in movies, because I work as a color assist um, at this place called Light Iron, great company, but it is very exhausting and it's very tiring. Um, and I've been working basically thirteen hour days for the past month, every day for the past month. And things are starting to slow down now, but it's been, it's been tough. Um, and I'm also moving in two days and I don't exactly know how, um, but it, it can get, it can really wear you down, um, working 
within the system of movie making um, to a point where you kind of start to lose some of that artistic, creative passion that got you into wanting to work in movies to begin with. Um, and it's something that I, I genuinely miss and feel like there's something missing from me is that creative output. Um, and really this show has been the only consistent creative, I don't know if you would call this creative, but organic output that I've had, um, over the past few years. Um, in fact, my, my, what I've done creatively has changed so much. Um, and I'm at a point now where I'm just, I'm so busy with work, with helping create other people's vision. You know, there's nothing wrong with helping other people and like working and, and, and being, uh, you know, a tool to be used by other artists. But, um, you know, you lose a little bit of that. Um, and I'm trying to, to get it back. I'm trying to really get it back guys. Um, and so meaning these people who are like TikTokers, I think the idea of TikTok is still even today is very much focused on dance and I feel like most of the time it's like comedy based or something like that. And you know, I'm I'm always much more focused on story than anything. Like my favorite types of songs are the ones that tell some kind of story or or say are very poetic in some kind of way. Um and there, there's a corner of TikTok which I think is not talked enough about, about eight or nine people who create stories on TikTok that are only a minute long, um, and somehow they still touch a level of, of depth that people, some people don't achieve in two hours, um... So it was very inspiring. It's very inspiring meeting these people. And there was other people there too. I didn't get to talk to everyone because I had to run home. I literally had to run back here um, to do this show. Um, but um, so th 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 this episode is a little bit different than what we normally. If, if, if you're still listening to me rant and rave about me being inspired and yada yada, then cheers to you. But this is a little bit different from normally. Normally, Zach... Well, normally the chemistry is Zach's a little bit more of the goofball wild card, while I'm a little bit more of the, obviously, the more inquisitive, um, thought-provoking, um, better one. Um, where Zach, you know, he just said what the fuck he wants. Um, <laughs> I need more sound effects. I need to get more sound effects for this. Um, he's my brother, though, so, you know... Um, but he's not here anymore, or really not physically here, so I'm back and being in charge. We had an episode today planned um, that was uh, a friend of a friend who's now turning into my friend who works in VFX, um, but we're not doing that because it has been insane with moving. Um, it's, it's been just very insane for the past few days, um, and so today we're going back to our roots or we're not going back to our roots we're going to do something a little bit different in fact we're changing things up um today the episode is going to be a book reading um and 
I'm gonna try to find maybe. I'm gonna find like a, a, a like some ambient music. Let, let's find some. Oh, I know it. Let's play some Miyazaki, um, like twelve hours of Miyazaki movie or music. Twelve hours. There's so many of these online. Twelve hours of you're you're listening to me create this, figuring this out in real time. Uh, Zaki completely misspelled that. Twelve hours of Studio Ghibli sleep music. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna put some 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 um some sleep music on what, once everything. this ad ends. Like um, backpack. We got Vino. Call in if you have um uh, you can call in if you want at seven one eight six seven three eight two zero one. Also, I should be reading. This is so you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, independent listening support radio. You're listening to. Uh, two Thumbs Undecided on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm supposed to be reading these more often. Please be sure to subscribe to our monthly l- n- newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. Um, yeah. So, we got some Studio Ghibli sleep music going on. Um, while this is going, um... You know, it's it's 5 p.m. on holiday weekend. It's a three-day weekend for those of you who are lucky enough to have a job that you can have day off. Because um, I've worked many a jobs in which I didn't have a day off sometimes um, for holidays. Um, and if you do have this three-day weekend, or if you're not working right now, or if you've, if you're even working right now, just take a second to breathe. Take a second to just be like, okay, you know what? I'm alive. <laughs> I am well. <laughs> I am... I am who I am. And I am going to be reading a book for the next 45 minutes. 44 minutes. Oh my God. Um, I'm going to be reading... A book that a movie was based off of. Um, the movie was directed by um, Ang Lee. Um, if that's any hints, it is not Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and it is not Hulk. Um, it's Life of Pi. Wait, actually, let me confirm that Life of Pi <laughs> director. Um, yeah, Ang Lee. I was right. This probably really isn't that comforting. I'm also going to turn it to another thing. Um, Because I didn't really like that song that much. This is another one. Okay. Alright, that's fine. Alright. So, this is Life of Pi, the book, by Yan Martle. Martle. Winner of the Man Booker Prize. Okay. Novella. Okay. So, this is Life of Pi. Uh, Should I read the author's note? This is the author's note. This book was born as I was hungry. Let me explain. In the spring of 1996, my second book, a novella, came out in Canada. It didn't fare well. Reviewers were puzzled or damned it with faint praise. Then readers ignored it. 
Despite my best effort. Fuck that. We're just gonna get in. Fuck. It's a long author's note. I mean, I'm sorry he's hungry. Okay? Don't come in here and call me and be like, the guy was hungry. So, you know, you should read what he's gotta say. I'm reading what he's gonna say. Okay? So, here we- this- We're getting- We're- Um... We're gonna read the book. Okay, so this is Life of Pi. By- <laughs> By Ian Martle. Um, winner of- The Man Booker Prize. Okay. Here we go. Chapter 1. My suffering left me sad and gloomy. See, he's already sad, so... You know... It checks out. Okay, I'm actually just gonna read this. My suffering left me sad and gloomy. Academic study and, and the steady mindful practice of religion slowly brought me back to life. I have kept up what some people would consider my strange religious practices. After one year of high school, I attended the University of Toronto and took a double major bachelor's degree. My majors were religious studies and zoology. My fourth year thesis for religious studies concerning certain aspects of the cosmo cosmology theory of Isaac Luria, the great 16th century uh, Kabbalist from Safad. Oh boy. My zoology thesis was a functional analysis of the thyroid gland of the three-toed sloth. I chose the sloth because its demeanor, calm, quiet, introspective, did something to soothe my shattered self. There are two toad sloths, and there are three toad sloths, the case being determined by the forepaw of the animal, since all sloths have three claws on their hind paws. I had the great luck one summer of studying the three toad sloth in situ in the equatorial jungles of Brazil. It is a highly intriguing creature. Its only real habit is indolence. 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 It sleeps or rests on an average of 20 hours a day. Our team tested the sleep habits of five wild three-toed sloths by, by placing all their heads in the early evening after they had fallen asleep, bright red plastic dishes filled with water. We found them still in place late the next morning, the water of the dishes swarming with insects. The sloth is at its busiest at sunset, using the word busy here in the most relaxed sense. It moves along the the bow of a tree in its characteristic upside-down position at the speed of roughly 40 meters an hour. On the ground, it crawls to its next tree at the rate of 250 meters an hour. When motivated, it is 440 times slower than, than a motivated cheetah. Unmotivated, it covers 4 to 5 meters in an hour. The three-toed sloth is not well informed about the outside world. On a scale of 2 to 10, where 2 represents the unusual dullness and, and, and 10 extremely uh, acutely, BB, a 1926, gave the sloth sense of taste, touch, sight, and hearing a rating of 2, and its sense of smelling, smell a rating of 3. If you come upon a sleeping three-toed sloth in the wild, two or three nudges should suffice to waken it. It will then look sleepily, sleepily in every direction but yours. Why it should look about in uncertain since about it uncertain since the sloth sees everything in a magoo like blur. As for hearing, the sloth is not so much deaf as uninterested in sound. <laughs> BB reported that uh, firing the 
Firing guns next to sleeping or feeding sloth elicits little reaction, and the sloth's, sloth's slightly better sense of smell should not be overestimated. They are said to be able to sniff and avoid decaying branches, but Belloc, 1968, reported that sloths fall to the ground clinging to decaying branches, quote, often. How does it survive, you might ask? Precisely by being so slow. Sleepiness and slothfulness keep it out of harm's way, away from the noise of jaguar, notice of jaguars, esolites, harpy eagles, and anacondas. A sloth's hair shelters an algae that is brown during the dry season and green during the wet season, so the animal blends in with the surrounding moss and foliage and looks like a nest of white ants or squirrels or like nothing at all but part of a tree. The three-toed sloth looks peaceful, vegetarian life in perfect harmony with its environment. A good-natured smile is forever on its lip, reported Turlier, 1966. It has been seen that a smile with my... I have seen that smile with my own eyes. I am not one giving to projecting human traits and emotions onto animals, but many a time during the months in Brazil, looking up at sloths in repose, I felt I was in the presence of an upside-down yogis deep in meditation or hermits deep in prayer, wise beings whose intense imaginative lives were beyond the reach of my scientific probing. Sometimes I got my majors mixed up. A number of my fellow religious studies students muddled uh, agnostics who didn't know which way was up, who were in the thrall of reason that fool's gold for the bright, reminded me of the three-toed sloth, and the three-toed sloth, such a beautiful example of the miracle of life, reminded me of God. I never had problems with my fellow scientists. Scientists are a friendly, atheistic, hard-working, beer-drinking lot whose minds are preoccupied with sex, chess, and basketball when they are not preoccupied with science. I was a very good student, if I may say so myself. I was at the top at St. Uh, Michael's College four years in a row. I got every possible student award from the Department of Zoology. If I got none from the Department of Religious Studies, it is simply because they are not student awards in the department. The award of religious studies are not in mortal hands, we all know that. I would have received the Governor's General Academic Medal and the University of Toronto's highest undergraduate award, of which no small number of illustrious Canadians have been recipients. Were it not for the beef-eating pink boy with a neck like a tree trunk and a temperament of unbearable good cheer, I still smart a little at the slight. When you're suffering a great deal in life, each additional pain is both unbearable and trifling. My life is like a memento mori painting from the European art. There is always a grinning skull at my side to remind me of the folly of human ambition. I mark, mock this skull. I look at it and say, You've got the wrong fellow. You may not believe in life, but I don't believe in death. Move on! There's an exclamation point. The skull snickers and moves ever closer, but that doesn't surprise me. Hmm. The reason death sticks so closely to life isn't biological necess necessity. It's envy. Life is so beautiful that death has fallen in love with it. A jealous, possessive love that grabs at what it can. But life leaps over oblivion lightly losing only a thing or two of no importance. And gloom is but the passing shadow of a cloud. The pink boy also got the nod from the Rhodes Scholarship Committee. I love him, and I hope his time at Oxford was a rich experience. If Lakshmi, goddess of wealth, 
one day favors my bountiful favors me bountifully oxford is fifth on the list of cities i would like to visit before i pass after mecca veronese jerusalem and paris i have nothing to say of my working life only that a tie is a noose and inverted though it is it will hang a man nonetheless if he's not careful i feel that a lot I'm also kind of falling asleep. I've been falling asleep a lot these days. Oh, shit. I have sporadic moments. It's... I, I fall asleep reading a lot. I'm not... I, did, I didn't realize it was loud. There's a yawn there. Um... Yeah. Let's just take a second. Just... Just... Let's just listen to this. Let's just listen to this song. Listen to Life of Pi soundtrack. So I've got my essay. Oh my! And I've been working on it for about a week. So now I'm going to show you how I use Grammarly. I don't want to listen to this. So this is the theme song to Life of Pi.
Yep. That was that. Um, let's put on another song. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm, uh, let's, let's put on another song from Life of Pi. This is, this is another song from Life of Pi. Nope, this is, this is not. And, okay. Okay, that's not it. This is another song from Life of Pi. Sumitsu. Yet another song. Life of Pi. Let's continue reading. Okay. Where do we have to leave off? You're still in chapter one, huh? Okay. Hmm. Where were we? Where were we? Oh, yes. I have nothing to say of my working life, only that a tie is a noose, and inverted though it is. It will hang a man, nonetheless, if he's not careful. I love Canada. I miss the heat of India, the food, the house lizards on the wall, the music, musicals on the silver screen, the cows wandering the street, the cows 
cawing, the crows cawing, even the talk of the cricket matches. But I love Canada. It is a great country, much too cold for good sense, inhabited by compassionate, intelligent people with bad hairdos. Anyways, I have nothing to go home to in Pondicherry. Richard Parker has stayed with me. I've never forgotten him. Dare I say I miss him? I do. I miss him. I still see him in my dreams. They are nightmares mostly, but nightmares tinged with love. Such is the strangeness of the human heart. I still cannot understand how he could abandon me so unceremoniously, without any sort of goodbye, without looking back even once. That pain is like an axe that chops at my heart. The doctors and nurses at the hospital in Mexico were incredibly kind to me, and the patients too, victims of cancer or car accidents. Once they heard my story, they hobbled and wheeled over to me, and they and their families, though none of them spoke English and I spoke no Spanish, they smiled at me, shook my hand, and patted me on the head, left gifts of food and clothing on my bed. They moved me to uncontrollable fits of laughing and crying. Within a couple of days, I could stand, even make two or three steps despite nausea, dizziness, and general weakness. Blood tests revealed that I was anemic and that my level of sodium was very high and my potassium very slow. My body retained fluids and my legs swelled up tremendously. I looked as if I had been great, grafted with a pair of elephant legs. My urine was a deep, dark yellow going on, going on to brown. After a week or so, I could walk just about normal. I could wear clothes if I didn't lace them up. My skin healed, though I still have scars on my shoulders and back. The first time I turned a tap on, its noisy, wasteful, super abundant gush was such a shock that I became incoherent. My legs collapsed beneath me, and I fainted in the arms of a nurse. The first time I went to an Indian restaurant in Canada, I used my fingers. The waiter looked at me critically and said, Fresh off the boat, are you? I blanched. My fingers were the second before had been taste had been taste buds, savoring the food of a little ahead of my mouth, became dirty under his gaze. They froze like criminals, caught in the act. I didn't dare lick them. I wiped them guiltily on my napkin. He had no idea how deeply those words wounded me. They were like nails being driven into my flesh. I picked up the knife and fork. I had barely even used such instruments. My hands trembled. My saber lost its taste. My sambar lost its taste. Chapter 2. This is also a little bit funky because chapter 2, it's now italicized. So it's like a little bit, I don't really quite understand, but it's a slightly different story that I don't think is explained. It's like a different, it doesn't flow. Um, you'll see. Chapter two. He lives in Scarborough. He's a man, slim man, no more than five foot five, dark hair, dark eyes, hair graying at the temples, can't be older than 40, pleasing coffee colored complexion, mild fall weather, yet puts on a... Big winter perka with a fur-lined hood for the walk to the dinner. Expressive face. Speaks quickly. Hands fit flitting about. No small talk. He launches forth. Interesting. So that was chapter two. So this is chapter three now. And it's back to the normal. Not italicized. I was named after a swimming pool. Quite peculiar considering my parents never took to water. One of my father's earliest business contacts was Francis... Oh, fuck. This is going to be hard. Adiru Basami. He became a good friend of the family. I called him um, Mamaji. Mama being the Tamali word. Uh, Tamil word for uncle and G being a suffix used in India to indicate respect and affection. 
When he was a young man, long before I was born, Mamaji was a champion competitive swimmer, the champion of all South India. He looked the part of his whole life, part his whole life. My brother Ravi once told me that when M Mamaji was born, he didn't want to give give up on breathing water, and so the doctor, to save his life, had to take him by the feet and swing him above his head round and round. It did the trick, said Ravi, wildly spinning his hand above his head. He coughed out water and started breathing air, but it forced all his flesh and blood to its upper body. That's why his chest is so thick and his legs are so skinny. I believed him. Ravi was a merciless teaser. The first time he called uh, Mamaji, Mr. Fish to my face, I left, a, I left a banana peel in his bed. Even in his 60s, when he was a little stooped and, a life, and had a lifetime of counter-obstetric uh, obst, gravity, had begun to nudge his flesh downward. Mama G swam 30 lengths every morning at the pole of the uh, uh, Rubindo Ashram. He tried to teach my parents to swim, but he never got them to be go beyond wading up to their knees at the beach and making ludicrous round motions with their arms, which, if they were practicing the breaststrokes, made them look as if they were walking through a jungle, spreading the tall grass ahead of them, or, if it was the front crawl, as if they were running down a hill and flailing their arms so as not to fall. Ravi was just as unenthusiastic. Mama G had to wait until I came into the practice to find a willing disciple. The day I came of swimming age, which, to mother's distress, Mama G claimed was seven, he brought me down to the beach, spread his arms seaward, and said, This is my gift to you. And then he nearly drowned you, claimed Mother. I remember. I remained faithful to my aquatic guru. Under his watchful eye, I lay on the beach and fluttered my legs and scratched away at the sand with my hands, turning my head at every stroke to breathe. I must have looked like a child throwing a peculiar slow-motion tantrum. In the water, as he held me at the surface, I tried my best to swim. I was much more, it was much more difficult on land, but Mama G was patient and encouraging. When he felt that I had progressed sufficiently, we turned our backs on the laughing and the shouting, the running and the splashing, and the blue-green waves and the bubbly surf, and headed for the uh, proper rectangularity and the formal flatness, and the paying uh, admissions of the ashram swimming pool. I went there with him three times a week throughout my childhood. A Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, early morning rituals with a clockwork regularity of a good front crawl stroke. I have vivid memories of this dignified old man stripping down to nakedness next to me, his body slowly emerging as he neatly disposed of each item of clothing, decency being salvaged at the very end by slight turning away in a magnificent pair of imported athletic bathing trunks. He stood straight and he was ready. It had an epic simplicity. Swimming instruction, which in time became swimming practice, was grueling. grueling. But there was a deep pleasure of doing a stroke with increasing ease and speed over and over till hypnosis practically and the water turning from molten liquid to liquid light. It was on my own, a guilty pleasure that I returned to the sea, beckoned by the mighty waves that crashed down and reached for me in humble tidal ripples, gentle lassos that caught, up, caught their willing Indian boy. My gift to Manji was one, one birthday. I was, I must have been 13 or so, was two full lengths of credible butterfly. I finished to, 
I finished so spent I could hardly wave to them, to him. Beyond the activity of swimming, there was the talk of it. It was the talk that father loved. The more vigorously he resisted actually swimming, the more he fancied it. Swim lore was his vacation talk from the workday talk of running a zoo. Water without a hypnopo- uh, hip- hippopotamus was so much more manageable than water with one. Mama G studied in Paris for two years, thanks to the colonial administration. He had a time of his life. There was in the early 1930s when the French were still trying to make Pondicherry as Gaelic as the British were trying to make the rest of India Britannic. I don't recall exactly what Mamaji studied. Something commercial, I suppose? He was a great storyteller, but forgot about his studies, or the Eiffel Tower, or the Louvre, or the cafe, the Champs-Élysées. All his stories had to do with swimming pools and swimming competitions. For example, there was the Piscicini Deligny Bach, the city's oldest pool dating back to 1796. An open-air barge uh, moored to the Quai de and the venue for the swimming events of the 1900 Olympics. But none of the times were recognized by the International Swimming Federation because the pools were six meters too long. The water in the pool came straight from the sign, unfiltered and unheated. It was cold and dirty, said the Mama G. The water, having crossed all of Paris, came in foul enough. Then people at the pool made it utterly disgusting. In conspiratorial whispers, which with shocking detail to the back of his claim, he assured us that the French had very low standards of personal hygiene. Deligny had bad was bad enough. Bain Royal, another latrine on the sign, was worse. At least Deligny was uh, they scooped out the dead fish. Nevertheless, an Olympic pool is an Olympic pool touched by the immortal glory, though it was a cesspool. Mamiji spoke of Deligny with a fond smile. One was better off at the Piscany Châtel London, Riviette, or De, de Boulevard de la Gare. There was an indoor pools with roofs on land in an open year round. Their water was supplied by the condensation from the steam engines from the nearby factories, and so was cleaner and warmer. But these pools were still a bit dingy, intended to be crowded. Were there so much gob and split spit floating in the water, I thought I was swimming through jellyfish, chuckled Mama G. The Piscinist uh, Hebert, Laudry Rollins, and pff, fuck, were bright, modern, spacious pools fed by artisan wells. Artisan wells. They set the standard for excellence in municipal swimming pools. There was the Piscini de Destorellis, of course, the city's other great Olympic pool, inaugurated during the second Paris Games of 1924, and there were still others, many of them. But no swimming pool in Mama G's eyes matched the glory of the Piscini Molitor. It was the crowning aquatic glory of Paris, and indeed of the entire civilized world. It was a pool of the gods would, would be delighted to swim in. Uh, Molitor had the best competitive swimming club in Paris. There was two pools, an indoor and an outdoor. Both were as big as small oceans. The indoor pools always had two lanes of lanes reserved for swimmers who wanted to do lengths. The water was so clean and clear you could have used it to make your morning coffee. The wooden changing cabins, blue and white, surrounded the pool on two floors. You could look down and see everyone and everything. The porters who marked your cabin door with chalk to show that it was occupied were limping old men, friendly in an ill-tempered way. No amount of shouting and tomfoolery ever ruffled them. 
The showers gushed hot, soothing water. There was a steam room and an exercise room. The outside pool became a skating rink in winter. There was a bar, a cafeteria, a large sunning deck, even two small beaches with real sand. Every bit of tile, brass and wind gleamed. It was, it was, dot, dot, dot. It was the only pool that made Mama G fall silent, his memory making too many lengths to mention. Mama G remembered, Father dreamed. That is how I got my name when I entered this world. A last welcome addition to my family. Three years later was Ravi. Piscini Molitor Patel. So that's like a combination of all the different pulls. Um, okay. So that's a little bit of Life of Pi. The first three. First three. Oh, I do. Pardon me. First three um, chapters. Now, um, we have 13 minutes left, and I'm a little sleepy. And I'm sure you all are just like, where's Zach? Where's Zach? Oh, my Dill, where's Zach? He's the entertaining one, which isn't true. I'm enter- I'm entertained. You guys are still listening. Um, truth be told, I didn't even, I didn't even know if I was going to do the episode today, um, just because... It's it's been so busy, guys. It's been so busy, and it's gonna be busy until the end of this week. So, that being said, um, I want to do something special. I want to. Ooh, sorry, that was my stomach. <laughs> I want to do something special for you guys, and I'm gonna play something from the Dick Cavett show. <laughs> Um, this is Marlon Brando on rejecting his Oscar for, uh, The Godfather. Robin, that's healthy. That's the fucking ad. I'm sorry for swearing. Um, but this is, this is, this is it. If you had the Academy Awards night to do over again, would you do any of that differently? Well... (laughs) Alright, so those you may not know. So, uh, Marlon Brando... Um, had a when he won, um, I believe for The Godfather, he um, had a Native American go up. I forget their name, but the Native American went up and accepted it, basically saying like, "Stop stigmatizing Native Americans um, at the like in movies," and um, caused quite an uproar. Obviously, um, a lot of booing, and. Um, John Wayne almost, like, was trying to rush the stage and was going to, like, punch the shit out of this, like, Native, woman, Native American woman um, and was, like, being held back. Um, and it's it's funny because, you know, there was the whole uh, Will Smith punching Chris Rock at this last thing. But there was a bunch of people being like, oh, well, this also happened in the 70s. Um, but, you know, here's Marlon Brando talking about it, I guess. I don't think so, no. I felt that um, that there was an opportunity for, since the American Indian hasn't been able to hear his voice heard, or have his voice heard, anywhere in the history of the United States, uh, I felt that it was a marvelous opportunity for an Indian to be able to voices opinion to 85 million people. I guess that was the number. And uh, 
I felt that he had a right to in view of what Hollywood has done to him. And uh, I was embarrassed for Shashin. She wasn't able to say what she intended to say. And uh, I was distressed that people should have booed and whistled and stomped, even though perhaps it was directed uh, at myself. They should have at least had the courtesy to listen to her. But uh, I think she did very well, and I was, uh, I was, I was very glad that she did have what opportunity she, she had to, to say what she did. And uh, uh, why I, didn't you get to read your entire, entire statement as you planned it? Well, I think that they felt that it was inappropriate, and um, I, I actually don't know. I, I think they just. They didn't want her there. They didn't want the uh, evening interrupted with that particular note. And from their insular point of view, I felt that perhaps they, they had a point. But uh, I don't think that people uh, generally realize what the motion picture industry has done to the American Indian. As a matter of fact, all ethnic groups uh, all minorities, all non-whites. And uh, people just simply don't realize, they just took it for granted that that's the way the people are going to be presented and these cliches were just going to be perpetuated. And uh, so when someone makes a protest of some kind and says, no, we do, please don't present the Chinese this way or please, I mean, on this network every night, well, perhaps not every night, but you can see silly renditions of human behavior. Uh, the uh, leering Filipino houseboy, or the wily Japanese, or the, the kook, or the gook, and uh, the idiot black man, and the stupid Indian, and it just goes on and on and on. And people actually don't realize how deeply uh, these people are injured by seeing themselves represented, not so much the adults, because they're already inured to that kind of pain and pressure, but uh, children, Indian children, seeing Indians represented as savage, as ugly, as nasty, vicious, treacherous. Yeah, so this gets into, I mean, uh, something we, we haven't really talked about on this show. And, you know, admittedly, it, it, you go back into the scores and scores of, of episodes. I think this is 120, 30-something, I don't know. Um, and admittedly, 30 of them are probably stuff like this, where it's just kind of like we have nothing planned. Um and we kind of just do some kind of rigmarole. Um, so if you go back in scores of scores of this episode, of these episodes, a lot of the, the original episodes, we would choose a topic and we would go into said topic and we would talk about it and we would try to come to some kind of conclusion. But of course, as with the title of the show, Two Thumbs Undecided, there is never a conclusion. So, so much of what 
we do um, starting out was that. Um, and then we transitioned more into doing interviews and more into talking about specific directors um, and more into um, talking about directors' whole careers um, and now getting more into TikTok and some of these other media platforms. But this is something we haven't really talked about. We've talked about um, women representation within the industry but not necessarily how films throughout the years have reflected biases and prejudices um and the current state of film and what what they what is happening now in film within film um and have we come to a point where everyone is accepted maybe not there's still stig uh, stigmatisms um and prejudices in film um, that are a little bit more, people are more aware of everything, but like, you know, it's, it's definitely come a long way since the seventies. Um, but well, more than anything, I feel like there really hasn't been a great, like native American movie. Um, there has been, um, the show, the res about the reservation, um, about Native Americans and TV shows, I mean, have a much greater, um, there's a lot, there's a lot more with TV shows that we should probably be getting into. Um, anyways, that was kind of just like a little rant I went on about Marlon Brando, The Godfather, Life of Pi, me talking about the future of possibly where the show is going and talking about TikTok and stuff, but I'm tired. I'm tired, guys. Um, but um, I'm gonna play us out. All right, I'm gonna play us out by a song. Um, by Sugar Ray, that I think is the beginning of um summer vibes because we're all feeling it. I'm feeling it, and I hope you are too. Uh, this is someday by Sugar Ray. After saving what customers... No, that's... That's an ad. Let's bring that in. Bring it out. And that's another ad. All right. Three, two...
sun.